0: Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz. Hello, and welcome to the Science
1: of Psychotherapy podcast. My name is Matthew Darlitz, editor in chief of the Science of Psychotherapy. And as always, I'm here with managing editor and good friend Richard Hill. Hi,
0: Richard. Hey, Matt! Fantastic to, to see you again. Look, here we are with another oh gosh, another really interesting, another really interesting mm-hmm. podcast coming up. Our um, uh, we're sort of calm and relaxed and in, in t-shirts. Plug, plug, we plug can. the product. Our uh, science and psychotherapy t-shirts. <laughs> uh, and but today we're going to go over to somewhere that's just a, a tad chillier over in uh, Canada. That's
1: right. We are. We are. We're going to go across and talk to Dr. Stuart Shankar. He's a distinguished research professor of philosophy and psychology at York University and the founder of the Merit Center Limited. He's a world leading authority and best selling author on the topic of self regulation and child development and the former president of the Council of Early Child Development.
0: Oh, it, sounds, it sounds like such an interesting fella. And, um, you know, I know we're going to talk a, a, along a range of, of topics and areas around regulation. We're going, probably going to talk about Vegas. We're probably going to talk about uh, various other things. And so just to remind people that the single place, a single place that they can go to to mm-hmm. get some insight and some understanding and, and foundational framework to all this thinking is our new book. Ah, uh, Yes, yes, The Practitioner's Guide. To the science of psychotherapy, and uh, it, it's out in March through Norton's, of course, uh, all around the world um, in English at this point. But we're mm-hmm. we're hoping we'll get some more languages before too long. But um, that's just the the plug. But it, it's not a plug. It's it's really an exposition of our work that we've been doing for all these years, and uh, we hope people really enjoy it. Uh, look for some of the reviews and things as they're coming out. And for an expansion of the book is.
1: Our Academy, the science of is where you can become a member, and we have a huge number of articles, videos, lots of stuff for you to dig your teeth into.
0: And we've curated these into various mm-hmm. courses on various subjects. There's actually hundreds of courses, yep. and uh, we've got uh, quite a few of these uh, are awarded certificates that you can hopefully use with your uh, your own association for CEUs, But it's certainly you can use for your continuing education, and that's what's important. But Enough of that, of us and things. Let us go and learn something new and wonderful with Stuart Shanker. Dr. Stuart Shanker, thank you so much for joining us
1: here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. It's so great to see you. Very nice to
2: be here. Thank you.
0: And, of course, I'm here as well, Stuart, uh, Richard. Uh, so the Richard and Matt show, really interested. We were, we were very fortunate to uh, be sent some information about, about your work. We'll get you to talk about it. Uh, we've had a little introduction telling about the book and various things. But maybe just to get everybody rounded off, uh, just... Uh, where are you? How have you come up to this? And you know what motivated you to create this this particular material? If you could just fill us in on that sort of
2: background. Well, I was at Oxford for ten years, and I was working on self regulation in the twentieth century, um, and that was an idea that was uh, really created by an American uh, physiologist, Walter Bradford Cannon, and then it developed in all sorts of ways throughout the twentieth century, and It was actually one of the inspirations for early artificial intelligence. So I was working on all that stuff and uh, wrote a couple of books about it and um, came to Canada in 1986 and wrote an article about this, what's called a psychophysiological definition of self-regulation, meaning how we handle stress. That's all it meant. And so I got a letter from um, some editor of Education Canada. And he said, oh, everybody's talking about self-regulation these days. Would you write an article for us? So um, I said, sure, send me, you know, half a dozen things that you've published on the topic uh, and then I'll write something. And I read what they uh, sent me. And honestly, I didn't know what the hell these guys were talking about. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it was good. I don't mean to to criticize it. It's just it had nothing to do with what I'd been trained in or what I'd worked on. Uh, we actually did a study ourselves a few years ago and found that there are 447 different definitions of self-regulation. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, 446 of those are variations on self-control. All uh, Right. But that's not what I was trained in. I was trained in how the body, uh, really works as a self-regulating mechanism uh, to deal with stress. And that idea got picked up by Hans Selye. And when mm-hmm. they talk about self-regulation, they're talking about how, for example, uh, you know, if, yesterday I had a very interesting uh, example myself. Um, it's very cold up here. and I went for a walk and when I got back, I was absolutely uh, floored. I couldn't move. What had happened was, without my knowing it, my body was producing what are called catecholamines to deal with the cold. Cold is a stress, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't feel cold. I wasn't aware of being cold, and I spent the rest of the day with a fierce headache and uh, all kinds of all kinds of uh, you know side effects. So, what I wanted to explain was. There is this big difference between self-regulation and self-control that um, we can develop. Um, this is the work I was trained in in psychiatry under Stanley Greenspan. Uh, we can develop methods of reducing a uh, child's stress load. First, we have to figure out when a kid is um, when a kid is overstressed. And what we discovered, I'll sum it up in one sentence. What I've discovered over the course of my career is that there is no such thing as a bad kid. Mm-hmm. Um, there are kids that are terribly overstressed. This is misinterpreted. The kids are then punished, further stressed. And that's a life that was just wasted. And that's a life that can be saved, that can be transformed. And that's what I do. Um, you know, So we work around this country and we work around the world now. Uh, trying to get people to see that it really isn't such a thing as a stupid kid, a lazy kid, or a bad kid they're just kids um, yeah. and, and, and this, they're, struggling,
0: they're struggling they're struggling to manage a fixed world
2: And yes. uh, I think this I mean yeah, we talk,
0: yes. i mean we we are huge. In um, trying to to educate people to understand that we live in a complex system, it's yes. not a linear world. I mean, there are yes. linear, lots of linear aspects to it, but yes. this complex world. So, so what what is going to be an easy path for one kid uh, is not necessarily going to be an exactly. easy path for another kid. But that doesn't mean the kid's wrong. Uh, right. And I love hearing what you're saying. So, so how uh, uh, do you do you find the way you access the way? How do you Integrate, I guess this is getting straight to the core of some of the, the processes you do and the way you work with kids, because I imagine each kid would be, uh, each child would be almost an individual case. Uh, and yeah. well, that's just a question to ask. Yeah.
2: Well, we discovered a couple of things early on. Uh, the first thing is exactly, Richard, what you just said. Uh, uh, no no two kids have the same reaction to stress. Uh, for some of them, they thrive on it. It's what Sayer called use stress. And for yeah. some of them, they can't handle it and they start to break down in various ways. So that's the first lesson. What's the stress for one kid's not for another? But the second lesson is the little buggers change on you all the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've got grandkids and I'm going, wow, I forgot about this. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: So, uh, so we have, um, it's really a five-step uh, method that we've developed over the years. And the first step, we call it reframing. And what that means is we have to figure out is this misbehavior that we're seeing or is it stress behavior? And these come from different parts of the brain. Misbehavior is very much a, a prefrontal thing. A kid knows It's intentional. The kid knows what he's doing, trying to get away with something. Stress behavior comes from the limbic system. Stress behavior comes from these ancient mechanisms. Um, and they cause the kid to behave in certain ways. So what we want... Uh, when we work with parents or with teachers is we want to figure out is this stress behavior is this kid overstressed and if the kid is overstressed why is the kid overstressed and then what can we do to start to reduce the kid's stress load Uh, and then the last two steps are kind of key the fourth step is we want the kid to become calm Uh, what we've seen in our own work is a generation of children and youth who don't know what calmness is. Um, and by that, we mean, you know, psychological as well as, as well as physical. And then the last step is restoration. And, Ark, I was going through your podcast. Um, you have a wonderful lineup. Uh, all of the guys that I've either worked with or would like to work with, uh, our our concept of restoration comes from Porges. Uh, we're really looking there at, um, you know, that neurobiological restorative state uh, where uh, you know cellular damage is repaired and so on. Um, and how do we get children or teenagers to restore? But the biggest uh, discovery that we made is that we can't do any of this until we work on the self-regulation of the parent or the teacher. What ha- what we've seen is everybody's overstressed. And if the adult is overstressed, even if they watch everything they say, even if they are really disciplined in the words they use, what they're feeling leaks. It leaks out. And this is a great point that Pat Ogden makes. So that leakage comes through, you know, affect tone, uh, eyes, gestures. And when a kid is overstressed, that's what they hear. They don't hear the words. They hear what you're feeling. So any chance you have of helping that child to calm down and learn how to calm themselves um, is non-viable. Uh, they're basically not processing what you're saying.
1: Now, can, can I I want to just jump into the middle here. Um, so you said hey, that the experience of calm is something the kids are uh, not familiar with these days, that everybody is stressed. Yep. Now, we've been talking about stress and affect regulation for a long time now. And it seemingly, things are getting worse. What's your yes. take on our society in this respect?
2: Well, um, you know, it's funny. I had to do some work just this morning. I was giving a talk on uh, um, for a group that uh, is working with FASD, fetal alcohol syndrome, and uh, their basic complaint was that uh, these kids, uh, first of all, are never calm, are are very very uh, vulnerable to serious addictions. Okay. What we see in them is what we see in all kids. Everywhere a kid goes today, they are buffeted by what's called a hook model. And the hook model was based on research done by psychologists back in starting in the 70s on dopamine release. And what they found was they could manipulate uh, dopamine release, dopamine receptors in a rat very easily. It's not hard at all to do. So dopamine's a real cool neurohormone, gives you a little buzz, um, gives you that, you know, uh, Yak Panksep, the great Yak Panksep, called it psychic energy, gives you that feeling. It doesn't do anything. It, it doesn't It doesn't interact with endorphins at all. It doesn't give you any pleasure. It just gives you that, that buzz. What the hook model is doing is basically hook giving the kid a shot of dopamine and you can do it with However, you're going to do it. You, you can do it with a sort with mimetic desire. You can do it with playing on the child's low self-esteem. You can do it with a bell, with whistles, with red, the color red. There are all kinds of techniques. And the kid gets a little shot of dopamine. And what's happening is we're seeing now this generation that when they get tired, they don't restore. They go for a shot of dopamine. And they'll get that dopamine. That dopamine craving can be satisfied any way. There's just endless ways that are even potato chips are, are designed to maximize dopamine. Mm. So the kid is constantly, um, you know, running on um, uh, norepinephrine and epinephrine, um, never in that calm state which precedes and makes possible restoration so uh the tank is empty, uh, mm. and it's not just the children yeah. and and the 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 great difficulty uh, and and
0: juxtaposition of of society of the you know the big wide world out there is that a distressed uh person a person who feels as though they're insufficient uh, uh, yeah. unable and so on and so forth is then also a fairly easy person to manipulate or control and yeah, uh, that's
2: no, no, Richard, that's that's the key. And so what you do when you're doing the hook model, uh, you know, look, um I was just talking about uh, Eddie Bernays. I, you, I was just
0: you, thinking he's
2: absolutely just thinking it. Yeah. You know, if you want to know what the greatest threat to the US society, to US society is, it goes back to Eddie Bernays. And then and then these politicians have figured out how they can how they can play the same games. So, you know, I think about something like Bernays's Torches for freedom march.
0: Yeah, turning women onto smoking.
2: Yes, turning women. You know, so all in the name of freedom. Um, But if they had known, if the women had at least known that American Tobacco Company was behind all this, at least they could have chosen. And uh, well, that's what we're seeing today. the The manipulation is 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 it's scary now because of what Matt said. Because what we're seeing now. Is kids that will not that are not able to even have restorative sleep. We now know from some very interesting research done in Sweden, it takes about six hours for the amygdala. Once the amygdala has been triggered, it takes about six hours for it to calm down. So even if you've turned out the kid's lights, he's not having a restful sleep. He's not having restorative sleep. So it builds and builds. And then the kid starts to have stress behaviors, gets yelled at, gets punished. And now, you're, now you've really exacerbated. It. And obviously, COVID has made what was a bad situation, you know, a thousand times worse. It's, it's pretty serious right now.
1: Mm, That's so interesting. And the release of dopamine too, I mean, that's lateralized uh, between the hemispheres where left hemisphere activity would be increased. And so you're diminishing right hemispheric activity. That's got to play into the whole scenario.
2: So Matt, that's a real interest. Okay, so that's a very important point. Uh, So what we're looking at is the mesolimbic pathway. And we now know that too much dopamine has... Um, really negative consequences in all sorts of ways, both mental, behavioral, et cetera. Now, let me tie it into something that Richard said right from the start. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Adele Diamond. She's a Canadian scientist out in BC. And she's done some fascinating research showing that really there's, uh, there are different alleles for getting rid of dopamine. Some kids are born with a short allele. Some kids are born with a long one. If you've got the wrong allele, you can't get rid of the excess dopamine. So some kids are flying through life because you're quite right. What you just said, Matt, it goes right through the brain. There's four different uh, there's four different dopamine pathways in the brain. You've got to clear it out. The ones getting in trouble are the ones who can't clear it fast enough. And it's like flooding a gas. It's like flooding a car engine. Uh, you know. It's and then and then all kinds of problems happen. Mm. But just,
0: oh yes, yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. Keep go going ahead, going. Richard. No, I was just going to quickly say to uh, anybody listening who are members, or you know, please come and be members. But we've got a wonderful video I did on the dangers of dopamine, um, mm. describing oh, do the four really? pathways and uh, and everything. Oh, that that that's fabulous. To there so they can go. And that's that. fabulous. So please continue with uh, with what you're saying.
2: We can. So we we have this method called self-break, and so what we want to do is we want to spot the signs well in advance of, you know, the kid going into fight or flight, the kid going into, or worse, going into freeze, whatever. And so I'll give you just one example. One of our big uh, keys is instant gratification. So we hear all the time that this is a generation that uh, is suffering from excessive instant gratification. But in fact, according to everything I've been saying here, we don't think that's quite accurate uh, because instant gratification is supposed to be cognitive. It's supposed to be, um, I choose the short-term reward rather than the long-term reward. That's what the marshmallow task was all about. So we ran the marshmallow. T- I can talk about the marshmallow task without going into it, right, Richard?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think people. Have been... Yeah, we've been yeah. talking about it for years. Okay. So, yeah. So,
2: so we we ran we we kept on running the bloody marshmallow task, and here's what we found: uh, the kids who the kids who can wait, they're really good at what we would call adaptive self regulation. So they can they reappraise, they self soothe, they do all the cognitive competencies. The kids who don't, the kids who fail, they don't fail because they want the damn marshmallow. They fail because the marshmallow task is a stress test. It's been designed as a stress test. And you prime the kid with the stress. So, I mean, what the hell? You know, here's your reward. You can have two marshmallows. Kid doesn't give a shit. But the kids who fail... Eat the marshmallow as the only way they can think of to get rid of the stress. Mm. It's a maladaptive way of dealing with stress. Mm. So think about the the. You know, I'm reading this afternoon about this this uh, writer who was so stressed about Omicron that she deliberately gave herself the virus and then died. Oh my! And God. that's yeah, but that's the adult version of the marshmallow task. I can't handle the stress. I don't have adaptive ways of dealing with the stress so they eat it they and that's what we find with all of the cases of instant gratification that we look at what they all have in common there's a wonderful study that Lisa Barrett did you know the uh, emotion lady uh the neuroscience of emotions she did a wonderful study showing that instant gratification goes up as stress goes up it's a it's a it's a function of being over stress in fact we use uh a matrix that Robert Thayer, the great American psychologist, designed called the Thayer matrix. And it's when the kid is in the bottom right quadrant of the Thayer matrix, which is low energy, high tension, excessive stress. That's when you get instant gratification. So what's happening is that these uh, these kids or whoever uh, don't know how to deal with stress Uh, and succumb to whatever the hook model is trying to get, or whether it's a drink or drugs or whatever. So to help them, what we have to do is we have to go back to step one. Why are you so overstressed? What are the stresses in this kid's life? Are they physical? Are they emotional? Are they cognitive stresses? Are they social? Or are they pro-social? And actually what we found is the kids that are overstressed it's never one, it's always five domains. You always have to look at all the multiple stresses that they're under.
0: Yeah, uh, and this again is this complex system, the the, the, yes. the, the variety of emergence. Exactly. exactly. Uh, and exactly. just quickly, for those, uh, for those who might not know the marshmallow test, Walter, uh, Michelle or Michel uh, it was in nineteen seventy two uh, called the Stanford uh, uh, marshmallow test. Just look it up. it's fabulous material everywhere for you mm, but mm. but this this whole idea um, uh, so beautifully put there and and just that really it's almost like it rose for me as you said it, it rose out of the many possibilities. You know, that this test was a stress test. Uh, and and this idea, and we've been talking a lot about this just, I've been writing a number of articles about the difference between stress and distress. Uh, yeah. Because people well, say, well, oh, stress, yeah, stress is good for you. And you go, like, oh. that's good. But it, it's, uh, and the simple thing uh, I got to in defining was saying uh, that we have a rise in stress in relation to a demand. Cool. But if the demand is unresolvable, uh, then, then of course, you you get to, to distress. But what you're saying beautifully that the marshmallow experiment tells us and then this uh, terribly sad uh, story of the of the COVID lady is that the stress created by the demand itself becomes a stress, which yeah. is then exactly. unresolvable. Uh, exactly. Right. Can okay. I add something to okay. what you just said, Richard? Oh, please. I'm just trying to figure out what you're saying uh, as best I can.
2: Okay, so let me give you guys um, a suggestion for another guest to have on, Alan Fogel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so oh. Alan has just published a new book, and it's basically on restorative self awareness. And he makes what I think is one of the most important points anyone's made, and that is Celier has an argument that is exactly what Richard just explained. So what Sellier ended up saying, especially in his autobiography, he says, you have to choose. You have to choose how you perceive a stress, whether you perceive it as positive or negative. Your choice determines whether it's going to be stress or distress. What Fogel has shown is that the more stressed we become, the less aware we are that we are overstressed. Uh. It's a, it looks like it's a um, primitive survival function where self-awareness of being stressed is blunted because you want to keep going. And so there's literally a shift. It turns off, uh, I'll just tell you quickly, it's the ventromedial mm. and the dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex. You need the ventromedial online to be aware that you're overstressed, to be aware that you're in pain or suffering. It turns off when you are under excessive stress. So here's a case yesterday where I was under incredible stress, physical stress, and totally oblivious of it. And I didn't realize at all that I was overstressed so that um, I paid a huge price for it for the rest of the day. What we found over and over is you can say to people, "Well, when you're overstressed, you've got to you know sit down, take a break." They don't know you don't know you're overstressed. So what we have to do is we have to make you know, like for example, uh, part of my daily routine is I will um, I will meditate several times during the day at times when I don't think I need to, and I'm always astonished. When I do this to see how much tension I've been carrying around. That's what we have to do with kids. And it's real hard with teenagers because of course, if I say this to them, then that's going to get a big no. Um, yeah. I'm, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: So I look, I got a teenage son. I'm not just, I'm not just talking theory here. <laughs> <laughs> I live this every day. Yeah. So this is a kind of
1: like a masking effect. Um I'm, exactly. Exactly, Matt yeah yeah so would this be uh, sort of akin to the i don't know the the generic businessman that is you know yeah doing all the overtime and seem seemingly handling yeah. it all and then all of a sudden he has a heart attack or a panic attack or something
2: and uh and the interesting thing your example is perfect and the interesting thing about it is that if you do if you do therapy with him after this event mm. he will reveal well you know there was this and that and i just sort of thought it was nothing you know and and yep. and so we suppress these warning signs uh until you get a crisis and i can tell you that ha- th- it, this happened to me so i i know how easy this is to happen unfortunately we have uh well you guys have um you know you've got a big problem in your country because you've unleashed people that are sending uh everybody into red brain uh can i use the term red brain it's kind of core idea of the theory the red brain just means that the limbic system's taken over um and the prefrontal cortex of the blue brain is you know just following behind if it has a job it's to rationalize or you know uh exercise ego defenses
0: yeah makes good sense
2: uh so this is a real problem because an awful lot of the behaviors that i'm reading about do not strike me as intentional. Do not strike me as volitional. These strike me as red brain behaviors that you know certain people are exploiting for their own advantage. And it's really the same as what Richard was saying about, um, about uh, the dangers of the hook model for kids. Only now we've got a whole society that's been severely overstressed uh, and behaving in ways that they are stress behaviors. Um, mm. Well, so, I'll just say that. So,
1: so how do we, how do we regain a sense of awareness that is? typically masked then yeah
0: because well, i'm well, what just we he- do- hearing that you know because what we what, what i was just adding to that uh, some of these people who are stressed and i've got a few mm. friends of mine and, and they've turned it into logic and good sense that they're, yeah. they're, they're they're the the emergent thing is but but yeah i can tell that they're stressed so you know going mm. back to matt's question
2: okay so that goes all the way back to wasted in nisbet right telling more than we can know um, and so the, you know, the blue brain is going to come up with the most logical, rational explanations for what was in fact, a limbic, uh, a limbic, uh, impulse. Yeah. Um, because we don't like to, we want to see ourselves as rational. So what we do when we work with parents and teachers that are really stuck in, you know, self-control model, you know, the kid needs to be whipped into shape and all that stuff. Uh, when, a kid does something that you find annoying, irritating, whatever. Stop and ask why. And then why now? What we're trying to do is insert a pause. One of the things that we have not talked about tonight is limbic resonance. Um, mm-hmm. And so what, So that's one of the big breakthroughs. And, you know, I talk in, in the book, the three uh, big scientific breakthroughs that, uh, on which the book is grounded. The second one is limbic resonance. This idea that our limbic systems really do communicate with each other instantly, instantaneously. So, um, if I'm talking to somebody, uh, if I'm talking to somebody who's hyper aroused, my limbic system goes hyper aroused instantly, um, and so before, and so then you've got a confrontation. So, what we're trying to do is break that. We're trying to insert a pause. Um, So we ask why, um, you know, why is he so why is he so opposed to vaccination or why is he so whatever? Um, And um, that's not to say that I know it's to say that uh, if we're going to if we're going to talk about this, it's got to be our blue brains that are talking and not our red brains. But then what we want um, the individual to do is to ask themselves why. Why do I think this so strongly? Why do I why do I dismiss any counter evidence? Why am I yelling? Mm. And the yelling, I'll just say one thing about that, okay, Richard. One of the things that we look at uh, for distinguishing between, if you like, desire and compulsion, and this is what I'm describing here are compulsive behaviors when it's uh, limbic behavior when it's dopamine driven if you block dopamine if you can i use the term seeking up seeking yes please okay when you block seeking it causes anger or rage it triggers in his up's theory the rage circuit if it's just desire if it's just a thought and you disagree. It doesn't cause rage. It causes an argument, you know, but there's no sense of violence. There's no sense of. Mm. And so uh, we want the individual to ask themselves, why am I so angry? Why am I so intolerant? And then we made a, a, a really key discovery. So we rolled this out all through Canada. It's right across the country and all the school boards. And we have lot, as you can imagine, we had lots and lots of teachers who disagreed with my whole approach, who thought, no, that's the kids need a rod, right? You know, spare the rod, spoil the child, all that. And what we found is we cannot convince them. We cannot persuade them. What we have to do is they have to come to us willingly. And so what would happen is we'd be working in a school and a bunch of teachers were there and they're and their classrooms are quiet, the kids are doing great. And then this other teacher starts to look and say, oh, what's going on over there? And what we want them to see is, look, accept this, dismiss this, but maybe, maybe you are overstressed. Maybe you are doing what Matt said and you're masking it. Maybe you're gonna feel a little bit better if you can do a stress inventory on yourself. So what we wanna do is start that process and that's what great psychotherapy does, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, that's uh, there's so much in there that is just so fabulous.
0: And just a couple of the quick things that come up in, in, in my mind is, you know, this this kid who says, you don't understand me. Yeah. Uh, part of that story, remembering that everything is complex and there's lots of things, but I can see that part of that story is, is you don't know what I'm seeking. You are no. you're, don't understand what I'm seeking. And then I think and you talk about education and you talk about things. One of my uh, things I did in my uh, master's in, in education was I did a research of uh, successful Teaching techniques in difficult situations, and one of the stories was the um, uh, the, the freedom writers, the Erin um, Gruen. Oh. and the they she found a common uh, element by getting them <laughs> to write their stories, and I was just thinking then if I if I yeah, that's get great. into seeking, I would say that they were seeking to be seen and known, uh, and so this, and if you block that. I agree. Uh, I agree completely. It, it's rage and rage and rage. And
2: you so, just amplify that and you're shooting people in the street. So that's beautifully put. And that's the essence of what we're trying to do here. All right.
0: All right. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a re- yeah. That's a really beautiful, powerful point. But uh, have we missed something? Um, and, and if not, what's just a just a rounding out of this process you know as we move from this idea of what stress and seeking and all this stuff and how we generate all these problems without self-regulation
2: well i'll tell you a lovely little story so we ran a uh, an rct using the, these techniques on children with autism and uh so um part of the rct was uh, you have to have some psychometrician come in and assess IQ because IQ has to be uh, eliminated as a confound. So we picked our brightest little guy. He's three years old, and because uh, we we're trying to prime this this uh, psychometrician into thinking these are really bright kids. So she's so we're all all the scientists we're crowded in the observation room, and she's in with the little guy. And she's, and it was a long test. It was a Bailey infant uh, IQ test. So they're just near the end. And the little guy says to her, I have to jump. And she gets (laughs) pissed off because she's got a bunch of kids. She's got to get through. She got to go through the whole, all the cohort. So she, her voice changes. She said, you can, you're almost done. You can jump as much as you want in five minutes. And he says, No, I have to jump now. And he stands up and he starts to jump. Uh, so he's self regulating. And then he sits down uh, and finishes the rest of the test. So we're looking at each other and we say, Oh my God, an IQ test is a stress test. So, yes.
0: <laughs> and it is, and, and it is, is. And, and this is. is exactly what Aaronson and Steele found with uh, with the uh, stereotype threat. Yes. That if you if you call it exactly. just, uh, just exactly. a questionnaire, you call That's it an IQ true. test, and it's and it for some
2: it becomes stress.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so we had we retested them all. We got a special psychometrician in who worked with autistic kids. And we're a bunch of geniuses. Yeah, and so true.
0: It's all in the testing. I was writing just sort of amusingly with someone the other day talking about IQ tests, and I can remember when I was, I don't know, Teenager or something that came with an IQ test, and there was a thing saying, uh, "Pick the the object, the the odd shape out." Yeah, 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 yeah. And I explained how all of them could be the odd shaped out if you considered this, <laughs> and um, uh, that I wasn't considered clever to do that. I was See, I would have given you a
2: McCarthy Award. <laughs>
0: yes yes yay damn i had the wrong people uh, yeah. assessing me oh beautiful
2: well it's a little tough All to right. keep up with you two uh, <laughs> i envy your listeners this is this is something special
1: oh well, it, it was so great to find out about you dr Stuart shanker it's been a pleasure having you on the science of psychotherapy podcast and uh we will point everyone to your book and other resources in the show notes
0: Yes, and if you're watching on uh, YouTube, because we'll have that up there, just look a little bit over the uh, Stuart's shoulder, and you will see this lovely book, Reframe, uh, <laughs> in the background <laughs> there. So, uh, but we'll also have uh, have those books uh, in our show notes for everybody to to click on to and go and purchase. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. Bye for now. Okay. Oh, I really enjoyed that. I mean, he was so on. I mean, you know, uh, I actually started to having to be careful of what I said because he remembered it and called you by name. (laughs) Uh, But no, but what a great teacher he must be. Yeah, Um, you know, picking up things, grasping them, remembering who said stuff—wonderful stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, Uh, very, very clever fellow there, and I hope you enjoyed that interview. Now, look, if you want to check out his book, The Reframed Self-Regulation for a Just Society by Stuart Shanker, uh, the link will be in the show notes.
0: And he has a couple of other books as well, which you'll also find when you go. And he's got some websites too that uh, that we're linking to. That's right, yes. Yeah. So
1: there's a couple of re- websites. One is Self-Regulation Global and uh, selfreg.ca. Uh, again, links in the show notes for you there. Beautiful. Well, thank you everybody for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. Now, look, if you do enjoy what we're doing and you'd like to support us, we would love for you to become a member of the Science of Psychotherapy Academy over at thescienceofpsychotherapy.net.
0: And when you support us, you not only get to support us, but you get our documentary series, you get our hundreds of courses, you get our, our monthly magazine, you get, oh my gosh, it just keeps on going. We really believe that we have priced this at what is affordable for what we really need, which is to become the 21st century therapist by being knowledgeable and aware. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, everybody. And we will catch you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to thescienceofpsychotherapy.com.